0: Welcome to The Script, a podcast for storytellers of the game Blood on the Clock Tower. Each episode of The Script is designed to help new storytellers run a particular edition or custom script of Blood on the Clock Tower. I'm your host, Zach, also known as Blackrook, and this episode is all about Bad Moon Rising one of the more complex of the three editions included in the box set of the game this edition is much trickier for storytellers than bad moon rising so if you're just getting into blood on the clock tower you definitely want to play trouble brewing a few times before jumping into these shark infested waters before listening to this episode i would recommend getting familiar with the 25 character abilities in this set check out the podcast description for a link to the bad moon rising character almanac once you're familiar with the characters, continue listening for some advice from the experts. As always, we'll be talking about two jobs of the storyteller. First, knowing the rules, and second, making decisions that influence the game. Here to help me walk through all of the trickiest rules and character interactions is someone who knows the rules of Blood on the Clock Tower may better than anyone else. Please welcome John.
1: Hi Zach, I'm, uh, I'm excited. I, I love BMR.
0: It's a great edition. Yes. This is definitely one of my, uh, my favorite things. And, uh, actually I think looking, just looking at the characters and reading some of the crazy stuff from this one, uh, is actually what got me into the game in the first place. Um, I was very excited to jump into this, um, as early as possible. Um, but did obviously start with trouble brewing. So if you're listening to this podcast, we do recommend you, uh, you resist the temptation to jump into this crazy, crazy script. Um, but in order to help you, if you are at that point where your, your group is ready to try something else. Um, we have John here who is the resident uh, rules expert of the, uh, the unofficial discord community. Um, and we have quite a few rules clarifications to go through. Um, and, uh, we're very happy to have John here cause he is the, he is the expert at explaining this stuff. And this one, this one gets pretty crazy.
1: I'm just gonna hope that uh, I manage to not tell too many lies. Uh, it's always <laughs> funny because when you're doing sort of rules uh, exploration like this, like all that all that's needed is one word out of place and then something ends up being not quite accurate. so i'm I'm hoping I can uh, stick to my own standard.
0: Yes. Blood on the Clock Tower can, uh, is, a, is a great game for uh, for lawyers and people who are into into the technicalities because uh, every word matters in this rulebook. So um, let's dive right into it. Our first question um, applies to two of the demons in Bad Moon Rising, which are two of my favorites um, that really make this script what it is, a, a giant kill fest. Uh, that is the Poe and the Shabaloth. So one of the things that's really unique about this script is that uh these demons in particular get more than one kill. Um, the Shabaloth uh, gets two and the Poe can have three kills um, if they first choose to kill no one um, on a previous night. So... The question, one question that that brings up is what happens if they attack a protected player um, and the, uh, the player providing the protection at the same time? So uh, the classic example of this would be the tea lady uh, who, if both of their neighbors are good, um, those neighbors cannot die. So if I'm either the Poe or the Shabaloth and I attack the tea lady and one of these neighbors that can't die, um, what happens?
1: So the answer here is, is uh, surprisingly straightforward, but it took us a while to get to this answer, uh, which is that if you have a demon that does multiple kills, and in general, if you have characters that do multiple kills, um, they happen in order. So if the Poe does three kills, the Shabloth does two, they point to one player and then to another player. They don't point to them both at the same time. Uh, and the order matters. So if the, uh, the Poe, for example, points to the Tea Lady and then the Tea Lady's sort of protectorate, uh, then the Tea Lady would die and then their neighbor would die because they're no longer being protected. If, on the other hand, they point to the protected player first and then the Tea Lady, then the Tea Lady would die, but the protected player would not.
0: Yeah so it's almost, so essentially there the answer is there is no concept of killing or at the same time because it actually happens sequentially and the order matters. Exactly. Now, another one, um, that maybe is a little weirder, um, is the goon, um, which, uh, the goon's ability reads each night, the first player to choose you with their ability is drunk until dusk, uh, and then you become that player's alignment. Um, so, uh, you know, assuming no one else has chosen the goon, what happens if, uh, one of these demons is, is on their killing spree and they, uh, they first choose, uh, or I guess either first or second choose the goon. So
1: here too, the the order is what really comes into play. So if the Poe chooses the Goon first, then the Poe becomes drunk at that point, and the Goon does not die, and any subsequent choices by the Poe will not die. If on the other hand, the Poe chose, say, the Moonchild, then the Goon, then the Grandmother, then the Moonchild would die, the Goon would not, and the Poe becomes drunk, and the Grandmother would not die because the Poe is now drunk from the Goon.
0: Got it. Yeah, so, so same, same kind a, of solution. Yeah. So yeah, take it slow and basically kind of evaluate things step by step is the way to go with, with these because uh, things can get pretty crazy.
1: Yeah. And in general, what I, what I do when there are multiple attacks like that is I still take all of them before resolving them. So the player doesn't, otherwise the player might sort of pick up on like, oh, you paused longer after my first selection than my second. You just sort of mark down one, two, three, you put them to sleep and then you deal with it.
0: Right. Yeah. So you can, you can basically just take down the list of names, remember the order, put them to sleep and then take as long as you need figuring it out. Yeah, exactly. That's good. Um, so another, um, demon, um, uh, we'll add into the mix, uh, the puka or puka. Actually, I don't know. What is the correct pronunciation of this? Uh, I believe it's puka that's a good clarification. I didn't think I was getting, um, so the, um, the, the Poe, the Shabaloth and the Puka, um, all have another thing that is, I think, unique to this script, which is they have, um, uh, they have part of their ability is affected by choices from previous nights, um, uh, all in different ways, but that, that is the thing that ties it together. So the Poe they get to kill three players after they choose to kill no one on a previous night. Uh, the Puka poisons a player one night, and then that player will die, uh, the the next night or a subsequent night. And the Shabaloth always kills two players. That's how they work. But they also have this other part of the ability where the next, the night, one of their targets might be regurgitated, um, meaning they come back to life. Um, so this is usually pretty straightforward, um, but gets a bit confusing when one of these demons is drunk or poisoned. Um, Usually, this would be by the the courtier or minstrel. Uh, I guess it could also be the the innkeeper or um, uh, or sailor could make them drunk. But that is your choice as the storyteller. Um, so, and then there's also the exorcist, which we'll talk about later because that actually causes it to the case to be a little different. Um, but um, so. Yeah. What happens, um, with each of these demons, um, what happens if they are drunk or poisoned, um, you know, with respect to their, their previous night's choices?
1: So here, um, the the resolution differs a little bit by which demon we're talking about because they're they're phrased a little bit differently. And the the phrasing is very intentional on each of these characters. Um, So in in the latest version of the rules that I have, which I think is the final version, um, for the Puka, it says the previously poisoned player dies. Um, For the Shabaloth, it is... uh, A dead player you chose last night and for the poe it says if your last choice was no one so in general they're they're sort of phrased in the past tense so if you have say um a poe that is drunk um then if the poe chose no play chose no one last night the poe would still be woken up would still get to choose three players um but at that point none of those players die because the Poe is currently drunk. The following night, the Poe still chose three players, even though they didn't kill anyone because they were drunk. So the following night, if the Poe is no longer drunk, they would then get a single kill because they chose three last night.
0: Yeah. And another another case with the Poe would be if they're drunk on the night that they choose no one, um, and then they're you know not drunk the next night. Um, do they get to still kill three?
1: They do because if you're drunk and choose no one, then you still chose no one last night. So again, this is where sort of the the uh, the phrasing comes in. So your last choice was no one, even though that choice was made while you were drunk. Um, gotcha. For, for the Shabbaloth, it's a little bit different because for the Shabbaloth, it says specifically uh, a. Well, it says a dead player you chose last night might be regurgitated, but if you were drunk last night, you didn't kill anyone. So they were presumably not dead when you chose them. Uh, And so therefore it's not, the the shabloth is not going to regurgitate someone. Um, And same thing if they are, well, I mean, if they're drunk when they try to kill someone, that person doesn't die. So the next night, even though they're alive, they can't regurgitate because that player never died. Um, so the shabaloth interaction with drunkenness is, is is usually pretty straightforward. The puka is the one where things gets a little bit odd. Um, because for the puka, um, if the puka is drunk when they choose a player, that player never becomes poisoned. And therefore, that player will not die subsequently. Think of this as it's the puka's poison that ends up killing someone. Um But on the other hand, if the puka successfully poisons someone and then becomes drunk the next night when that player is supposed to die, um, then that player doesn't die because the puka's power is sort of out of play. Um, And so it's only when the puka later becomes sober again, then the player that they originally poisoned will die. And in the interim, the the puka will still wake up and choose players. because they're they're drunk, they still wake up to choose player sets. What the puka ability says, it's just that those choices have no effect, and the poison that they originally placed will still end up killing someone once the puka becomes sober again.
0: Yeah, and um, the so the other case um, here, uh, which is slightly different because it doesn't involve drunkenness, but it still kind of interrupts um, these three. Uh, demons and, and, you know, the flow of what they usually do. And that is uh, the exorcist. So um, if you don't recall, the exorcist has an ability um, that, they choose the demon, um, or sorry, they choose a player, and if that player that chooses the demon, um, then the demon doesn't wake tonight. Um, so not waking, um, it doesn't mean they're drunk, it means they actually just do not wake up. Um, so with again, with respect to the Puka, Shabloth, and Poe, um, how does how does that resolve if they are chosen by the exorcist? Um, so we can do the, the
1: Puka first, because here the Puka is actually pretty straightforward. Um, if the exorcist chooses the Puka, uh, then the the puka's choice from last night still dies because that death happens irrespective of whether the puka wakes up. But since the puka doesn't wake up, they don't get to choose a player to poison for the next night. So when the Exorcist chooses the puka, previous choice dies, but they don't get to make a new choice for next night. Um... For the Shabaloth, it's sort of similar, like the, the Shabaloth can't wake up to kill someone, but the regurgitation can still happen because that doesn't require that the Shabaloth wake up. Um, mm-hmm. For the Poe, um, if the exorcist selects the Poe, the Poe does not act, but this night does not count as a night where the Poe chose no one. So it's not a forced no one choice, but if the Poe chose no one on the night before the exorcist chose the Poe, then the Poe still chooses three players the night after the exorcist chose the Poe.
0: Ah, okay. So, so th- that actually would be almost the same as. Uh, oh no, that's different. That's yeah, that's also different than. Yeah, drunk. so it's a little
1: different, and and this actually falls out from the wording of the Poe. Uh, so the Poe says, "If your last choice was no one." Right, so if you didn't wake, you didn't make a choice. But your last choice is the last time you woke up. So, so this gotcha. ruling, the the sort of clarification in the almanac here, does match the latest character text uh, exactly. Okay. It's not like a weird we, case ruling. Are we
0: sure this is the this is the final one?
1: <laughs> yeah, Exorcist Poe is one we went through a lot of times. Uh, same with like Drunken Puka, and Exorcist Puka was uh, was a, yeah. a, a lot of back and forth.
0: Yeah, so it's good to really understand these three demons, um, which kind of make up a good half of the the rules questions in Bad Moon Rising. Um, uh, now, the fourth demon, which we haven't mentioned yet, uh, is probably responsible for quite a few of the other rules clarifications, um, and that is the Zombul. So, uh, yes, um, they the Zombul. Uh, lives um the first time they die but then regis- but secretly registers as dead um so you know fitting with the whole zombie theme uh, and so this this brings up the question um related to that phrase registers as dead um which also for this I'm just going to refer to this as undead mode I don't know if that's official terminology um so for example uh the devil's advocate minion um can pick a living player to protect from executions. Um, so if the Devil's Advocate can only pick living players, can they pick an undead Zambul?
1: Uh, the Devil's Advocate can only choose a living player, and the undead Zambul is not living. Therefore, the Devil's Advocate can, cannot choose the undead Zambul. Got it. So, so I mean, when, when the rules say register is dead, they really mean it. It's like this player is dead. They just aren't really. Uh, So everything in the rules sort of, and everything it's, it's not just registers as dead to the players. It's like registers as dead for the purposes of the rules with only the exception about the end game condition.
0: Yeah. So another example would be the other part of the Zambul's own ability, which is that they only actually wake up to kill a player if no one died the previous day. So if the Zambul is the one executed during the day and they don't uh, you know they don't really die, um, but they they fake die. Do they get to wake up and kill someone that night?
1: Uh, they cannot because someone died that day. So again, like they register to everything, including themselves, including the storyteller. Just everything considers them dead. Um, with with the only exceptions of the game still continues um, and the zombul still attacks.
0: Yeah. And then I think that's the last example I have here. The question, which is, uh, you know, if, if the town executes someone and brings the game down to two living townsfolk, and then the Zambul is in undead mode, uh, does evil win because the Zambul is registering as dead and there's only two players alive? Or in this case, the Zambul is counting as alive?
1: Uh, so this is one of the cases in which the zombul uh, counts as alive. So, and I think this is explicitly called out in the Almanac too, that um, the game continues if just two other players are alive.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. So it's essential. So The rule of thumb is, you know, Zambul counts as, as dying for every rule and ability except for the end game.
1: Except for end game and that they can wake up to kill, like for, for the
0: purposes of their own ability. Yeah, that one is uh, the, the the four demons of Bad Moon Rising are definitely what make the game uh, uh, amazing, um, but also somewhat confusing. So those are those are that's all we'll talk about the demons. Um, so we can move on to um, one of the uh, the favorite minions of Bad Moon Rising, and that is the assassin. Um, Fitting in with the kill fest theme of this script, uh, the assassin chooses a player at night, uh, once per game, they choose someone to die. Um, and the ability says that that player dies, even if for some reason they could not is the wording. Um, so the assassin, for example, can kill the sailor or players protected by the tea or innkeeper, um, but there's some other cases which are, are maybe less less obvious. Um, one of them being the fool. Um, so, does the assassin properly, truly kill the fool if they still have their their ability? Which I believe is worded um, the first time you die, you do not. So yeah. yes, if the so if that if the fool hasn't died yet at all, um, and the assassin targets them, what's going to happen?
1: Uh, so the assassin really is intended
0: as something that just overrules
1: everything. Uh, It powers through whatever ability would inhibit it otherwise. So if the assassin chooses the fool, the fool dies and stays dead. There is no continuation of the fool. They don't not die. The, The assassin chooses the fool, the fool is dead.
0: Gotcha. And so the last case, um, I think is a question of whether or not the assassin, even, uh, their ability even technically goes off. Um, but the goon, which we mentioned before, you know, they have that ability that says the first player to choose you is drunk until dusk, um, and you become their alignment. So in this case, um, if the assassin attacks the goon, um, would the assassin count as drunk and therefore not have their ability? So, th- so this has been just debated to death uh, in in writing
1: the almanac as well. And ultimately, uh, the decision was that yes, the assassin, uh, if the assassin attacks the goon, then the goon dies. Uh, but the assassin turns evil, which is a little weird because it sort of means that the goon ability worked, but also didn't. Um, ultimately, you could think of this as if the assassin attacks the goon, then the goon will die because the assassin ability says that this will happen. But the goon ability says it has sort of this additional clause beyond sort of having the effect of protecting the goon from death in a turning the turning the attacker evil. And so that also happens. Um, and this is sufficiently weird uh, but also common that it actually uh, has its own line in the almanac
0: so it's a bit of a compromise the the goon will die um so the, but- i mean the the way i the way i sell
1: this to myself is that the assassin goes first right the assassin power activates first and it says that whoever i choose will die no matter what they then choose the goon and at that point the goon will die. It's determined by the by the assassin power. Then the goon turn makes the assassin drunk, which would normally prevent the goon from dying, but the assassin ability sort of happened first and says that no matter what happens next, the death will happen.
0: Gotcha. Uh, and, then and then the, goon, the rest of, of the goon
1: ability takes effect which is the goon turns the assassin's team so evil.
0: Excellent. Um, yeah, that, that's a good explanation. I can I can live with that one. Um, yeah, it's definitely, definitely a little in like
1: rules lawyering fudgy land, um, but but it was sort of chosen because it's also the most fun interaction where the assassin gets to do things, but the good ability also triggers.
0: Yeah, and of course, who doesn't love being on the evil team? So yeah. So the next character, um, I, you know, I usually get a lot of questions, um, about from new BMR players is the, the chambermaid. Um, so the way the chambermaid works, they choose two living players, um, and they learn how many of those players woke that night, uh, due to their ability. Um, so the first question here is the minions and the demon, uh, wake up on the first night to learn who each other are and the demon gets their bluffs. Um, so if the chambermaid chooses two evil players, um, are they always going to get a two um, on the first night?
1: Yeah, th- this is another one that I think comes up a lot, especially from people who like uh, to be uh, very meticulous in how they interpret the rules. Um, the answer here is, is pretty straightforwardly that um, the evil players on the first night do not wake due to their ability. They wake, in some sense, due to their class, if you will, where class here is like demon or minion. Um, So the Poe, for example, doesn't wake the first night due to the Poe, they wake first night due to the fact that they're a demon. Um, And so they do that Wake up does not count for the purposes of the chambermaid. So, if if you had an evil character who woke the first night due to their ability as well, then it would count for the chambermaid. Uh, but waking right. for a demon and minion info is not sufficient.
0: Which I believe looking at the night sheet now is just the godfather, devil's advocate, and puka.
1: Yeah, and this is sort of an addendum uh, to this, which is um, that the chambermaid only triggers for people who wake due to their ability so if a player gets woken up due to some other ability um that does also not count for the chambermaid
0: A good example is if the chambermaid then chooses the exorcist and the demon they'll get a one because the exorcist woke due to their ability and the demon woke but it was due to the exorcist's ability not their own exactly yeah i think that was all my questions on the chambermaid did you have did you have something else there no no that sounds about right All right, then let's talk about the Moonchild. I'm not sure this one is necessarily a rules clarification, but more of a, uh, what do I do here? So again, the Moonchild is um, when you learn that you died, publicly choose one alive player. Tonight, if it was a good player, they die. Um, So let's say I'm in the situation where the chambermaid just got executed. Do you mean the Moonchild? Yes. Sorry, what did I say? Oh, yeah, typo. I do have a typo here in my notes. Uh, yeah. So if the moon child just got executed um, and the uh, you know I'm the storyteller and I, I announced that they died and usually I'm going to announce that everyone should go to sleep. Um, but I'm kind of waiting for the moon child to say something and do their ability, um, but they're not doing anything. Um, what what do I have license to do here as the storyteller? So so this is also a
1: thing that, that we went many rounds on, and like, should it say May? Uh, but but that seems too weak. Like the moon child is supposed to sort of have a they're supposed to have an outsider ability, which is supposed to be in hindrance, which means they have to choose. Um, but we also didn't want it to be easily confirmable that you're the moon child. Uh, so ultimately what the rule book says here is that for the moon child to not choose is cheating. It's breaking the rules. The moon child mm-hmm. must choose. Um, in practice, as a storyteller, what you would normally do is you would give them sort of a minute or two um, after they learned that they've died, whether that is at an execution or, or at dawn when, when they're informed. Um, and... If they don't, you maybe you'll take them aside if they're sort of a new player, um, or maybe you take multiple players aside to sort of not make it immediately obvious. But in general, if you had an experienced player, for example, uh, that would be considered cheating um, and you would deal with it the same way you would deal with cheating in your
0: group. Gotcha. So you would recommend uh, um, going on with the night phase and then pulling them aside the following, uh, the following morning?
1: No, I would take them aside then, actually. Uh, and like, it's it's tricky, right? Because uh, it's not, um, if, if you're a new player, you might not realize, which is why in general, as a storyteller, you may want to be proactive about this, where if you see that a player who's not experienced with BMR um, draws the moon child, you might want to take them aside early on in the game and explain to them that you must do this within a few minutes, of being told so that you don't have to take them aside later because they will know that this is the case.
0: Yeah. So I've seen some people um, run this as um, they basically wake up the moon child at night to make the choice. Is that not kosher? No. The moon
1: child's choice um, is supposed to be public. And then this is why you really want to make sure that the person knows that they need to do it. Um, yeah, and if there was a if it was an experienced player that had the Moonchild and didn't do it, it's sort of a nudge in their direction should be sufficient to make them realize they probably already know. I've very rarely seen it being used sort of maliciously, like I'm intentionally not going to come out, especially with the sort of latest rewording of the character. I think the biggest. Cause for sort of problems with the Moonchild is new players who don't realize, and there the solution really is take them aside when they draw the Moonchild and let them know, and that's usually good enough. Um, and it's sort of like like if you have a player who maliciously decides like decides not to speak up, it's sort of equivalent to what do you do if someone just doesn't close their eyes at night, right? Like it's just it's just cheating.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't. I luckily I haven't encountered that, but I actually don't know what I do there other than not invite them to play this. Yeah, game. it's tough. Um, it's tough. So um, uh, here is another question. Um, I think we'll we'll be talking a lot more about the lunatic in the next section of this podcast. But as far as rules go, um, the you know the lunatic is supposed to know that they're the, um, they're the demon, and you know they get woken up and told who some minions are. Kind of arbitrarily, they get some arbitrary bluffs, um, and then they make choices that are then told to the real demon afterward. Um, so what happens when the exorcist, which we've, we've talked a bit about already, uh, chooses the lunatic?
1: So the, there's no actual interaction between the two. Um, if the exorcist chooses the lunatic, then the lunatic is not the demon. They just think that they are. Um, so, so nothing actually changed with regards to the lunatic. Um, there's sort of a question around... Are you allowed to pretend to the lunatic that they were chosen by the exorcist? In terms of the pure rules, that is something that you're allowed to do, but you probably don't want to do it. It's a pretty heavy-handed strategy, right? Because it would mean that the lunatic wakes up, or the lunatic is not woken up, and then you have to wake up the demon, and the demon doesn't learn who the lunatic would have chosen. So you end up having a sort of outsized effect as a storyteller. Um, but it is something that technically you're allowed to do, but uh, in yeah. practice you may not want to.
0: And if you did, well, if you did that, um, you would. I imagine you'd also have to tell them who the exorcist is, or tell them. I guess someone is the exorcist. Is that? Yeah,
1: how you that would, would have work? to. If you pretended this to the lunatic, you would have to tell the lunatic that someone is the exorcist. And the demon wouldn't know who you chose unless you told them. So it becomes very involved. Um, yeah,
0: and you would have to tell. Then you'd have to tell the demon that the lunatic chose no one, or or just not mention the lunatic. Uh, or try to communicate to the demon that the lunatic thinks that there's an exorcist.
1: It it gets into some pretty deep rat holes that you probably yeah. don't want to
0: get into. All right, seems seems not not intended, but uh, good to know. Um, And I have one more question for you uh, before we move on to the next section, and that is about the gambler. So uh, the gambler chooses a player at night um, and guesses their role um, with the uh, added fun that if they uh, guess wrong, they die. Um, So the question that comes up uh, is, uh, can the gambler choose themselves with this ability and obviously guess probably that they're the gambler? Or I guess if they wanted to die, they could guess uh, that they're something else.
1: I've seen both, actually. I've seen gamblers guessing themselves as not the gambler to test whether they're whether someone else is telling the truth about them being protected.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah, uh, and so but, this is this is allowed.
1: Yeah. So the answer is it's allowed. Um, so in general, unless the ability text specifically says that there's a condition for your choice, uh, your choice is unconstrained. So if it says choose a player, you really can choose any player. If it says an alive player, a dead player, you can still choose, well, dead would be hard, but an alive player, you can still choose yourself. It's only if it says, for example, choose another player or a different player or something like that, um, that, that your choices are more constrained.
0: Yeah, I think that is general, that's good general advice for any rules question you may get, um, particularly in Bad Moon Rising, but any of these scripts really, I think this is a good note, uh, to end on, which is if you get a question that you don't immediately know the answer to, um, a good thing I like to do is just start by reading the character text. And sometimes, even if you don't know the answer, uh, just by reading the character text, uh, the person asking the question may think you're answering it because the character text has the answer built into it most of the time. Um, and yeah, by, de- by default, if it says choose a player, that could mean dead, alive, evil, good, whatever. Um, and then it's only when these added words are added that uh, that, that limits you.
1: Yeah, and and I think um, as sort of a general rule of thumb, the character text should be really um, narrowed down in an interpretation to mean everything and only what is in the text. So I've found that actually with new players, one thing that works really well is if they have a question, especially if it's at night and you can't really talk to them, like you wake them up and they're not quite sure what they're supposed to do, just like... Put your finger down or some kind of pointer down and sort of trace along the text of the character ability and have them read it to themselves as you point. And usually they'll go, oh, and then just do the right thing. Uh, The character text should be good enough for most, uh, most things if you read it carefully.
0: Yes, definitely appreciate all of the, uh, the work you and the rest of the rules lawyers at Pandemonium Institute have done, um, with this. Um, I'm excited to, uh, to play more, especially in, uh, in person, um, at some point, but, uh, thank you. Those are all the questions I have about Bad Moon Rising. John, thank you so much for joining us. We hope, uh, we hope to see you again for our episode on sex and violets, which is another uh, different but equally crazy uh, in different ways script. Um, so thank you so much for joining us.
1: No, thanks for having me. I uh, I never turn down an opportunity to talk about weird rule stuff. It's uh, my favorite pastime.
0: <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Zach. All right, now my next guest is here to talk about some of the key decisions you may have to make as a storyteller in Bad Moon Rising. Of course, it's the one and the only Ben Burns. Hello, Ben. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Are you ready to chat some Bad Moon Rising? I am always ready to chat with any human or animal about Bad Moon Rising. Excellent. I'm very curious how those conversations go with okay. the animals, but we can save that for another podcast. And we have a great number of questions uh, for you um, about how to make good choices as a storyteller in Bad Moon Rising. Um, but before we get into that, I do want to ask... Um, Perhaps one of the first choices you're going to make is to play Bad Moon Rising at all. So let's say your group has been playing Trouble Brewing for a while and they're getting a little uh, bored of that um, and they want to try out a new script. Um, when do you think is the right time to introduce Bad Moon Rising? And also, do you think, um, uh, do you have any opinions on if you should introduce Bad Moon
2: Rising or Sex and Violets um, coming out of Trouble Brewing? So I, I would say that um, Bad Moon Rising, so in terms of the step-up from, from Trouble Brewing to anything, the step-up is huge, as I'm sure you and probably many of the people listening to this will already know. It, the, like, the learning curve is massive. And when we are at conventions and stuff like that, we usually say um, that you should play about 10 games of Trouble Brewing before trying either of the other scripts. And I think that's probably a pretty good number, but obviously a one-size-fits-all isn't always going to work. But I think the most important thing to keep in mind about Bad Moon Rising is that it's it's easier, It's easier. an easier step up for the players, but it's a more difficult step up for the storyteller. because It's easier for the players because it's basically trouble brewing, but with a lot more chaos. And you don't have to teach your players about madness, which is something that I find a hell of a lot of players have a very rough time understanding. But actually running Bad Moon Rising is so difficult for the storyteller because there is just so much going on and and I mean the night sheet for for every other night as opposed to the first one is just packed full of stuff so much to remember one little mistake can just completely screw the entire game up and so i would say that um really it's not a question of when should you introduce your players to bad moon rising because at the end of the day if they understand trouble brewing they'll probably at least on some level understand bad moon rising the real question is when do you as a storyteller decide to throw yourself onto that pyre (laughs) sorry i've just answered your question with another question
0: well, and hope, hopefully, listening to this podcast will uh, will help uh, get you there slightly faster uh, than than without our wonderful expert advice. Um, particularly, just listening to John go through the rules was uh, was extremely helpful. Um, the uh, the demons in this uh, set alone cause so many rules confusions. Um, but let's move on to the first big choice you're going to make after choosing to play Bad Moon Rising uh, as the storyteller. Uh, and that is what characters to include in a game. So what are the things you're thinking about um, when you're picking what char- what tokens to put into that bag?
2: So I think there are some universal rules that you probably always should think about. For example, you, know, you should probably put at least a little bit of drunkenness or poisoning in there. Obviously, before we go any further, make sure you ignore all of these rules occasionally, otherwise people will just assume that you are Always going to have some drunkenness and poisoning in there, and you're always going to have this, and you're never going to have that. And you really don't want that. You don't want to be easily meted. But um, you should probably put some drunkenness and poisoning in there. You probably should not put lots of protection in there. And really, if you've just got a little bit of it, if you've got a, a little bit of stuff that can bring you back to life, a little bit of stuff that can stop death from happening, a little bit of stuff that can guarantee deaths happen. As long as you've got that nice variety in there, I think you're probably going to have a pretty fun and balanced game. And I think the fun and balance are two different things really, aren't they? You could totally build a game of bad moon rising with all of the characters that stopped deaths from happening. That is balanced. Like there'll, there'll be a lot less information going around, but it's still fair and balanced. But, but is that fun? I mean, maybe it is. Maybe it is for you. You know, whatever you find fun, you know, is entirely up to you. But for me personally, I don't want a game that's going to drag night after night with a confused demon who can't kill anyone. So I think, really, you know, um, Bad Moon Rising is a fairly balanced script inherently. But but it but is it inherently always fun? No, that's when you really have to choose which characters you put in there.
0: Yeah, well, it sounds like there's two new mechanics uh, with Bad Moon Rising um, coming from Troll Brewing, and that is there's there's a lot more protection and preventing death, and then there's a lot more... Uh, Extra death. Uh, Bad Moon Rising is very much all about death, whether it happens or or whether it happens more, whether it happens less. Um, So I like it's it's similar to Capelli's advice on the last episode of Trouble Brewing, which is to pick for a variety of the types of roles. Uh, So it's just a matter of recognizing that the types of uh, of you know roles in Bad Moon Rising are a little different. Um, But here here's a question. So if you're going for a variety, you're probably good. Um, Are there any? Uh, you know, bad character combinations, like you know, two characters that you absolutely shouldn't put in the same game, um, uh, to make make sure it's still fun.
2: I don't think there are. No, um, I mean, it, if you, I think that question is a lot more relevant when you're building your own scripts. There are certainly uh, characters that sh- that won't work together in a custom script. In fact, there are many examples of that, and the fact that jinxes exist is also proof of that. But I think that. Trouble Booing, Bad Moon Rising, and Sects and Violets, they're all scripts where all of the characters work with all of the other characters. I think there there are probably standout examples of characters that do awesome things together. For example, the Assassin and the Fool is a really cool couple of characters to have in the game because there's the possibility that the Fool will die assuming that they're previous life has already been spent when in fact it hadn't because they were assassinated by the assassin so there are plenty of examples of really entertaining choices but i certainly can't think of two characters that just don't work together in bad moon rising
0: yeah what are some of the the other entertaining choices that you uh,
2: you have your eye on um lunatic and anything I guess. Uh, <laughs> we'll talk about them <laughs> i think um certainly uh having a courtier and a zombul is something that i've always enjoyed because uh, the, the potential to to drunk... it. Let's say, for example, the the has successfully bluffed that there is a, I don't know, pucker in play, and the courtier chooses to drunk the pucker, and then there's a bunch of uh, executions, and the zombul doesn't get to do any killing, and so the, the town are convinced that they're a pucker. So, the, you know, there's, there's a great combo there. I think anything that makes extra deaths combined with each other is always going to be quite entertaining. So a gossip and an assassin, or a gossip and a gambler, anything that can cause extra debt, because then you, you're you basically crafting a, a... You're leaving a set of clues for the good players.
0: And uh, the kind of last part of the setup here, um, uh, let's talk about the bluffs. Are there any, um, any particular things you're thinking when deciding what bluffs to give the demon?
2: Uh, well, aside from the usual stuff like... Um, should I give them an outsider? because obviously there are situations where if you give the evil team an outsider to bluff as and they're playing with particularly experienced players, that could be kind of a death sentence for them. Uh, but I think grandmother and stuff is always good right because as a, as a grandmother, if you if you're a demon, you can go and take your minion aside and say, hey, I'm gonna say I'm the grandmother. here's I, the another bluff I've got is the pacifist. I'm gonna say that I saw you with a pacifist, et etc, et etc. Um, anything that kills is always good because if you're if you're bluffing, uh, say gambler for example, and you're the demon, you can choose whether or not to kill things and use that to create a narrative. As the gambler, I think stuff that protects is a little less useful sometimes. Maybe I mean certainly uh, the tea lady is brutally difficult to bluff as, and. Um, to a lesser degree, maybe the the uh, innkeeper or the sailor. Yeah, the the
0: tea lady, or sorry, yeah, the tea lady is a good example. Um, uh, I think you know situationally it's it's bluffable, and that situation I think is mostly the the devil's advocate um, because obviously they can choose one of their neighbors if they plan on taking that that tea lady bluff. So uh, yeah. I think that's generally good advice: is thinking about whether or not. Um, they could reasonably go on for a few days and convince people that they they're having an effect um but obviously the demon doesn't replicate that tea lady effect so that's going to be a hard one to pull off if yeah. uh, someone decides to test them
2: totally and it requires a lot of coordination that does a lot of coordination and certainly if we're talking um if you're running your first ever game of bad moon rising for a group of people who've never played bad moon rising before i think it's a little much to uh, to expect your players to be able to coordinate to that degree. So certainly yeah. that's a yeah that's a tough one to pull off, but the the very fact that it's a tough one to pull off m- makes it a good, a good one to put in there especially if you're running for veterans.
0: Um what do you think about the um uh the Shabloth and the Professor? Obviously these these two roles are are very important that they're included in the same set together. Um how do you how do you think about that as far as if, if one of them is, or I guess if the Shabloth's in play, um, whether or not the professor is in play or given as a bluff?
2: Well, certainly, yeah, it goes without saying that those two being on, the, uh, the moment someone is resurrected in Bad Moon Rising, it is either, unless you've got some sort of traveler in that, that is doing it, it's either the result of a Shabloth or a professor, right? So having them both on this, as you said, on the same script is crucial. I am not, overly if if I've if I've put a shovel off in and I haven't put a professor in I'm not overly con- concerned with giving the the professor as a bluff because at the end of the day I feel like there's got to be <laughs> the evil have to do some of their own legwork and you know if you if you're you, you should take a minion aside and say hey look are you willing to take a dirt nap why don't you claim to be the professor and claim to resurrect whoever gets resurrected as a result of me? etc etc like that's what your minions are there for so i I feel like there should be some sort of leaps of faith from the evil team to a degree yeah
0: that's a good point yeah because the minion uh minion can obviously uh end up in a double claim and that can actually benefit um the evil team in the long run um all right well let's talk about um one of my favorite roles, and I think one of yours as well, possibly the reason I just des- I, uh, I decided Bad Rising is definitely one of my f- three favorite scripts in Blood on the Clock Tower. Um, and that is The Lunatic. Uh, so the Lunatic uh, thinks they are the demon, but they are not. Uh, and part of that is you get to wake up the Lunatic and tell them uh, all the things you would normally tell a demon, but you can use. Anyone you want as their minions, and you can any roles as you want as uh, any roles that you want as their bluffs. Um, So, what goes through your mind when you're deciding who to tell the lunatic are minions and what to show them as bluffs?
2: Well, I mean, first of all, the first decision that you have to make is which demon which demon are you going to tell the lunatic that they are? Which which extra demon token uh, are you going to put in the bag there? Because um, you don't have to tell the lunatic they're the same demon as the actual demon if you don't want to. And, uh, I mean, if you're running for people first time, you probably should. For your own sake, if you're a beginner storyteller, you definitely should. But you don't have to if you don't want to. And it can be a lot of fun, particularly if you've got, say, for example, a, a pucker and a zombie and maybe the real demon's the pucker, and you're going to tell the lunatic that they're the zombie because then when they die, they're probably still going to think that they are the zombie. And so there's a lot of fun you can have with that right there. Uh, But with regards to uh, minions and bluffs, generally speaking, I will show the lunatic three bluffs that aren't aren't in play and that aren't three bluffs that I gave to the demon, if possible. Because I I think that um, outsiders should, to some degree, at least, be detrimental. And if you just show the lunatic a bunch of roles that are in play, Uh, they're probably going to very quickly figure out that they're the lunatic when they're being double claimed by three people within five minutes of starting the game. So I'll generally give them stuff that isn't in play. Maybe I'll give them one or possibly two if I'm feeling cruel that are in play, but certainly at least one of them will be not in play roles. As for the minions... This is a really difficult decision, actually, because I've, I've, I've experimented with this quite a lot. I've experimented with showing them actual minions and seeing what those minions do, and I've experimented with just giving them a bunch of random townsfolks and outsiders. I think if you show the Lunatic a mixture, assuming you've got at least 10 players, and so there's opportunity to show two minions, of course. If you show the Lunatic a mixture of good and evil players, then you're setting up a really... Interesting and entertaining situation for you, which is the whole point of this, right? Why are you doing this if you're not having fun watching these people squirm? So when when an, when a minion is approached by a lunatic saying, "Hey, fellow bad guy, what are, what are we gonna do?" The, you're then basically giving that minion an opportunity. That's you before the game begins, saying to that minion, "Hey, here's a lunatic. Do what you want with it." And so I'm I'm a big fan of showing a mixture of good and evil players to the lunatic. But I'm I know for a fact that some people will only ever show good. Uh but you know that that's that's up to them really.
0: Yeah. I think that that's good advice for for starting it until uh you start to have your group try and play the meta, and then that's when you of course break the meta. Absolutely. So the um uh, the next character I want to talk about is uh, the grandmother. Um, th- one of the only roles in uh, in Bad Moon Rising that actually, you know, confirm gets confirmed information about uh, another townsfolk. Uh, unlike Trouble Brewing, where there are several of these. So, um, does that change how you make the the grandmother choice as far as who, uh, which character to show them
2: as their grandchild? Yeah, I mean, essentially, when you choose who the grandmother is going to see, there are. I see it as almost a kind of binary decision you're either going to show them someone who gathers information or you're going to show them someone who doesn't gather information if you show the grandmother the fool for example you've created a little a little two way trust road right there between the fool and the grandmother but it doesn't confirm any information it doesn't get the it doesn't really get the good team any closer to winning the game if you show the grandmother the gambler for example, then you are giving the good team an opportunity to get pretty solid confirmable information because the gambler is confirmed by the grandmother and the gambler can gather info. And so really, I think that's the decision you have to make. And that's just one of those little little things that you as a storyteller will do to balance the game whilst you're building it. You might think, oh, do you know what? This is looking kind of rough on town. I'm going to show the grandmother who the gossip is. Or you might think, do you know what? I feel I feel like evil are going to have a, a pretty tough time here. I'm just going to show the grandmother who the tinker is, and yeah, that's 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 generally I would say every single time I put the grandmother in, that's what goes through my head.
0: Yeah, I like that thinking thinking about the the chain of information uh, or the chain of trust that you're going to create with that choice. Um, it's good. Uh, another character that is definitely one of my favorites uh, that attracted me to this script is uh, the Shabaloth. Um, definitely one of the stars of the uh, the Bad Moon Rising Killfest type uh, nights. Um, but the other, you know, interesting thing about the Shabaloth is I believe it's the only demon um, in the base three sets that. Uh, ca- can actually cause someone to come back to life. Um, and very few characters do this. Um, so the the professor is the notable uh, counterexample here, um, which causes a lot of confusion. Um, but you as the storyteller are in complete control over uh, when to use this um, regurgitation, how often, and who to regurgitate, obviously, assuming they're they're dead and they were picked by the Shabloth. Um so how do you make that decision and um what's your what's your recommendation on how uh how f- early and how often to use this?
2: So this is this is a pretty big topic I would say. Um generally speaking, when you're making any decisions as a storyteller, there's I, I well, when I'm making a decision as sto- as a storyteller, there's kind of an order of operation. There's like What do I need at the top of this list? What does this game need to remain balanced? Then below that, it's what is this player clearly... What does this player want? What is this player trying to do? Can I make that happen for them? And then below that, it's just kind of, you know, whatever you feel like, you know, go for it, meme lord choices or whatever. But if you're going to... So if we we look at the what does the game need balance situation... A lot of the time, that will marry quite nicely with what the player is wanting. So, for example, if the evil team is getting just hammered, and the Shabaloth decides to attack one of his own minions in the night, great. The Shabaloth clearly wants their minion to be regurgitated, assuming this minion is dead, of course, in this scenario. The Shabaloth clearly wants their dead minion to get regurgitated the following night, and you as the storyteller probably want it as well because evil are having a tough time. So, happily there, both the desires of the Shabaloth and the game's mechanical needs are married quite well. If you're not in a situation like that, if you're not in a situation where there's some sort of desperate need for balance or when the Shabaloth is trying to do something fruity and clearly telegraphing to you that they want something to happen, then I suppose the question becomes, do you want to confirm that there is a Shabaloth in this game? Because even with the existence of a Professor, even if, you've, even if evil are bluffing Professor, and even if they've got a solid opportunity to make it look like this was a Professor resurrection it's still probably, it's at the very least, at least one person is going to say, hey, that could have been a Shabaloth. So the moment you allow that regurgitation to happen, you invite the possibility that this is a Shabaloth game. And the moment that happens, the good team, regardless of where they're at, just got a little bit closer to winning. And I think that's the most important thing to keep in mind when choosing when and how often. Once you've done it, you might as well just keep doing it if you want to, uh, because at that point, you know, the cat's out of the bag. But um, certainly you can have a lot of fun just going full ham, thinking, do you know what, screw it, I'm going to gonna have a regurgitation as soon as I can, and I'm just going to keep doing it over and over again. Because if you do that, then the question becomes, why is the storyteller doing this? Why are these people being regurgitated? And then you're giving the Shabaloth an opportunity to bring dead people back to life who are useless to the good team at this point but it's going to make them seem evil and so yeah like i said this is a really big i could talk about this for hours to be honest with you but yeah there's a lot to consider but ultimately what does the game need what does the shabaloth want what do you think is going to be fun those are the three big things to consider
0: definitely definitely one of the most fun characters uh to storytelling this game um so and With the power to bring people back to life as the storyteller, also occasionally comes the decision to kill someone. Uh, And of course, I'm talking about the gossip and the tinker. Um, So the gossip, uh, if they uh, make a statement that is true you as a storyteller that night get to decide who dies. Um, and the tinker, you can pretty much decide when to kill, um, you know, nighttime, daytime, you can do it in front of everyone, or you can add them to the list of of night deaths to cause some confusion there. Um, but what do you think of these two roles and how to use them effectively as a storyteller?
2: Um, well, I think they're the ultimate tools of balance for the storyteller, really, aren't they? You can, you can pretty much kill... Um, whoever you want and usually the game needs someone to die there's there's usually a situation in the night where someone needs to die to make the game a little bit more balanced and um i i would say that if you've so things to consider have you got a character that's got a lot of information very very quickly and is going to get more great kill them have you got an exorcist who you think's pretty much nailed down the demon kill them have are evil absolutely hammering everyone and there's like a 50 50 ratio evil to good kill a minion is is one of them an assassin that's already spent kill that one then because they're not going to feel kind of hard done by so i think ultimately when you're and this goes for any character that that where you get to choose who dies just use it as an opportunity to keep things balanced really and as long as you've always got that in the back of your mind you can't really go far wrong with with your decision making
0: yeah, I think that's a very good point. That it's it's important to remember you can kill minions there as well. Um, I think that's something that that I've definitely overlooked or just don't think of in the moment when running these. Yeah, um,
2: I mean it's rare uh, it's rare that you will want to because usually the evil team, or well, the evil team always start the game losing, spend most of the game losing, and maybe snatch it at the end. That's generally uh, when when evil wins. It's again it's against all odds, and especially in Bad Moon Rising, it's against all odds.
0: Yeah. Um, so the next one I want to talk about is, um, uh, again, back to, um, well, you can, we've talked about bringing people back to life. We've talked about killing people. There's one more uh, interesting thing you get to do as storyteller. Uh, if the pacifist is in play, um, or actually the, I believe this this applies to the sailor as well, um, you can decide to prevent um, someone from dying in the first place. Um, with the pacifist, that is, of course, um, any any executed good player, you can decide that they, um, they don't die. Um, and with the sailor, of course, if you've decided they are not drunk, which we'll talk about after this, um, you can, well, actually, no, sorry that I'm wrong. That's not a decision that is, you cannot die. So yes, we'll talk about the sailor later. Uh, let's talk about the pacifist now. So this is a, this is a, um, this is a might not die, um, which means it's your call. And how do you how do you decide um, if that is a, a, a thumbs up or a thumbs down in the old Roman Colosseum style of this decision?
2: Well, I think again it comes down to balance, doesn't it? Um, there's a, if you choose to not if you choose for a good player to not be executed as a result of the pacifist, then you are doing a number of things. You are a making it a little bit easier for the good team, you are B, possibly confirming the existence of the pacifist. Both of those are important decisions that you have to make. And a lot of the time, I find that uh, that I'm that usually the person that I end up stopping from death, the person who I end up rescuing from execution, sorry, via the pacifist is the pacifist, because it always creates an interesting conundrum why didn't you die oh it must be because i'm the pacifist oh of course you are i bet you're just the devil's advocate who's chosen themselves a little and the debate rages on because if you stop the pacifist from dying as a result of the pacifist there's no one really that can confirm that other, other than the pacifist most of the time and so it just creates a nice little puzzle and really a lot of the i think even i kind of do it subconsciously at this point i just create when when i make decisions i just create little puzzles and watch them unfold as people debate and argue over them and and i think there's few characters that are a better example of that than the pacifist but really uh, when it boils down to it i would say you've, you've got the same decision chain as the shabaloth what does the game need what do you think the pacifist wants i think generally the pacifist is going to want for good people to not be executed and what's going to be the most fun
0: the way I'm starting to think about this now is you, you kind of have to decide if your decision is going to create a puzzle to be solved or give the solution to a puzzle and so with the pacifist i think devil's advocate's a good example where if a plausible explanation is that um you know it was the devil's advocate protecting the person you're saving then that actually creates a puzzle um if for example the uh you're saving someone sitting next to a tea lady and maybe the other um you know the other side of the tea lady is an evil player that actually creates an interesting puzzle um, as opposed to just handing the the answer there um So, yeah, I I think, uh, as as you said, these are all tools for balance and and creating puzzles for people to solve, which I think is what makes uh, the game fun in a lot of cases. Absolutely,
2: and it's what makes Bad Moon Rising Bad Moon Rising. People say it's a chaotic script, and I guess they're right if their idea of chaos is many, many side quests happening all at once, because it is a script of side quests, isn't it, really? The ultimate aim of the game is to... Kill the right people and win, but in order to get there, you have to travel all these all these little um, sort of side roads and stuff. And and Bad Moon Rising is just the epitome of that because all of the information you have to go out there and get it. On the other two scripts, there are characters that can just sit there and have things happen to them. There is, you know, characters that just get stuff on night one. There are characters that just sit there and woken up at night and told things. And there are characters that wake up at night and point to people and just learn things about them. There's really not a, any of that in, in Bad Moon Rising. You have to be willing to go out there and grab info. You have to be willing to sacrifice people. You have to be willing to take massive leaps of logic And that's, this just gives the storyteller infinite opportunities to make those tiny puzzles and to complete those tiny puzzles.
0: Yeah. I I love it. It's a, it's a great description. Um, and there's, there's one more, uh, question I have because on some of those side quests, um, uh, people go off on their side quests and drink a lot of beer, um, (laughs) get real drunk. Um, of course I'm talking about the innkeeper and sailor. So in both of these abilities, they work different ways, but basically During uh, both of these, um, you as a storyteller will have to choose between uh, one of two players as far as which one you're going to make drunk um, for a a period of time. Um, And I think both of these... um, Both of these could land on the demon. So you could at some point choose to make the demon drunk. Um, I'm not sure when uh, you should do that. Um, But uh, no matter what, you're going to be making a decision and someone could be getting false information or have their ability nullified by that, uh, at least for a a short amount of time. So how do you how do you think about making those decisions?
2: Well, if we. Get, leave aside the, the balance thing because, again, it's going to be a case of what does the game need, what does the player want, da, da 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 You know, if we assume that your game is going incredibly smoothly and everything is perfectly balanced, then, in my opinion, if somebody gets to be immortal, somebody should be demonstrably drunk. So if the, if the sailor is immortal for the whole of the, the night and the next day, somebody's information should get screwed with as a result of that, because you're giving the sailor the opportunity to more or less hard confirm that they're the sailor. So as a result of that, gossip shouldn't get info or something like that. And that, that to me is just the epitome of balance, really. And I think you can probably pretty much say the same thing for the innkeeper. Um, it, you know, if, if, if one of them, especially if, if, if the Innkeeper chooses two really powerful characters, if one of them gets to have the guaranteed good information tonight, the other one should probably get guaranteed bad information tonight because that makes it fair. Yeah. And then
0: what do you do when, uh, when, you know, the demon is an option, uh, in these? How do you think about that?
2: Um, I mean, that's a a much more difficult question because there's a number of factors that you've got to consider when the demon is chosen. First of all, evil are probably losing because evil spent most of the game losing. And so in terms of balance, you probably don't want to drunk the demon. Having said that, it might be you, you as a storyteller have the information to know that it might be the case that having no deaths tonight or having the demon not act tonight is actually going to make... Evil look good or good look bad, and in that case, you can be like, "Great, I'm gonna do I'm gonna do this demon a favor. I'm gonna drunk them. There'll be no deaths tonight. That's gonna make it look like such and such was actually a minion because it's gonna make it look like this has happened and these things have gone off and etc etc. So there are situations where it can be you can be doing evil a favor and balancing the game by making the demon drunk. But I would say that that is relatively rare, and usually for the sake of balance and for the sake of fun you probably don't want to take the demon's ability away arbitrarily so i would say do it sometimes but don't do it often
0: yeah it's good uh good to play it play it safe especially on your first uh, couple of games
2: there definitely and bad moon rising is a script that has the potential to go on for hours especially if you've got a ball in the game and inexperienced players the first time i ever ran bad moon rising there was like 14 people there and we'd had um the like pre like a, a testing pre-release copy of Blood on the Clock Tower for like a couple of months. And we were all pretty, pretty new and I was still pretty new. And the game literally lasted for four and a half hours because no one was executing uh, was and well, no one was like executing the zombie wasn't getting kills. They've been dead for ages. It just went. I, I can't. I'm. Str- I struggle to describe, it, but it just went on and on and on for ages. And it yeah. is a script that does have the potential to do that. And so nine times out of ten, you don't want to slow the game down because uh, brevity is the soul of wit. Right. Keep a decent pace.
0: Yeah. Well, that is all the questions I have. Do you have any final thoughts on Bad Moon Rising?
2: Bad Moon Rising is generally the people's least favorite script of the three. It's my favorite of the three. I'm, I'm kind of a champion for it. And I think that um, if you know what to expect from Bad Moon Rising, you can have a lot of fun with it. It's chaos. It's quick. It's dirty. There's a lot of very, very <laughs> harsh consequences for trying to get information. But if you are a lover of chaos and a really good puzzle you're gonna have a lot of fun with bad moon rising and i heartily recommend if you if you try it once or twice and you think ah this is my cup of tea keep playing it because it will grow on you i promise Yes. Well, thank you so much for
0: joining us, Ben,
2: and thank you
0: all for listening. We wish you luck in storytelling your next or first game of Bad Moon Rising. If you have any questions or just want to talk more about Blood on the Clock Tower, we recommend you check out the unofficial Discord server. The link will be in the podcast description. Uh, you can watch Ben Burns and all sorts of Clock Tower veterans stream live on Twitch at twitch.tv slash the Pandemonium Institute. Thank you once again for joining us. And until next time, the game continues. Good night.
2: Wherever I go, he follows, he follows. This ma-unstressed ghost, he follows, he follows. Hunting everyone, he follows, he follows. Scaring all the he follows, he follows. It's worse than we thought it could be. We'd be. Better off with a vampire or zombie. This monster spreads his disease, recruiting boogeymen by bewitching.